Hello and welcome to what will be the season finale of season one of the Thrive and Learn podcast. Remember in my first episode when I said I would keep releasing content until it wasn't feasible? Well, we have hit that point in this one-woman show. Um, I think it's a good thing because it means my workload on other projects like Bright Stars and Rhode Island Pre-K is starting to pick up and that makes me feel like we are reaching the light at um, the end of the tunnel of that is this pandemic. Um, kind of feels like some sense of normalcy and it, it has me mostly encouraged. Um, but don't worry, I will be back with more content. I have a few project ideas uh, that are baking at the moment for this, um, but I'll need some time to pull it off. In the meantime, you can help me by sharing the episodes we already released with your fellow early childhood educators and advocates. You can become a Rhode Island AEYC member if you haven't already. You can make sure your membership is up to date. You can sign up for our newsletter. Um, there's more on all of that on our website, riaeyc.org. I want to jump right into the interview content today because it's just so good and it's going to speak for itself. Here we go. We're on. <laughs> so thank you guys both so much for being here on this episode. This is the first time I'm actually having two guests. And if I'm going to be honest, I feel like I'm going to like read these bios and just like sit back and chill while you guys like fall in love with each other because <laughs> I'll get into it in a second. Okay. First, let me, let, first, let me tell everybody who you are. Okay. Um, Angela Hanscom is a pediatric occupational therapist and founder of Timbernook, an award-winning developmental and nature-based program that has gained international popularity. She is also the author of Balanced and Barefoot, How Unrestricted Outdoor Play Makes for Strong, Confident, and Capable Children. Angela has also been a frequent contributor to the Washington Post and was a recent recipient of the SBA Small Business of the Year Award in 2019. Congrats. And my good friend Martha Donovan is a born and bred Rhode Islander. Same girl. <laughs> she works directly with early childhood educators across the state as a mentor and CDA instructor with the Rhode Island Early Childhood Education and Training Program at the Community College of Rhode Island. She previously served as an early childhood educator teaching preschool and kindergarten for 25 years. She holds a master's degree in early childhood education. Martha is the co-owner of What If Kits, play-based educational kits for young children due to launch in 2021. Martha, it's 2021. We're almost there. <laughs> uh, she is a certified Tinker Garden teacher, and she currently serves as the vice president on the Rhode Island AEYC board, which is how I have come to know you so well. So welcome to both of you. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Of course. So I wanted to give a little bit of a uh, backstory about how this episode came to be. I brought the idea for this podcast to our board last year. And I got to tell you, Martha, you were so excited. <laughs> that made me so like doubly excited. We have lots of really cool things uh, cooking up for this podcast with Martha's help. Um, and she sent me your book, Angela, and she said, this is what I want to talk about. And 
at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to Google this lady and I'm going to get Martha an early Christmas present, which is when, how long we've been planning this conversation. And uh, without Martha knowing, I reached out to you and booked you and then gave Martha a nice early Christmas present. So here we are. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, so, <laughs> so first, um, Angela, what I would like to know is, can you tell us a little bit more about your program, Timbernook and its structure? Of course. So Timbernook, um, it started in my backyard about 10 years ago. Um, and, but it's evolved since that time. Um, so as you know, I'm an occupational therapist and, um, I developed this program because I felt like children weren't outdoors enough. And Mm -hmm. what I've learned over the years is I've really, um, just kind of focused on the occupation of children. Um, you know, as an occupational therapist, that's what, that, that's what we do. We work on the occupation of the child and, um, we're very good at doing indoor play, you know, that we're, we're not often outdoors. So, and I kept thinking about what about the occupation of outdoor play? It's a huge occupation for children and so important and it's at risk. Um, Mm -hmm. in fact, it's, it's really critical right now with everything that's going on. So my whole mission in life is really um, was to empower others in my profession and also in the, the field of education to bring back this important occupation and to realize that it really crosses all sectors. It really mm-hmm. um, impacts education and impacts development in ways we never expected until we really restrict it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that's what Timbernook is. Um, we provide outdoor play experiences for children. Um, they're very grand scale, um, whole body, sensory, uh, but they have to be meaningful. It cannot be adult directed. Um, our job is really to inspire the occupation of play. And so we use the environment to do that. And the adults actually, um, we do a lot of work before the kids get there. And we do a lot of work during, but it looks different. We're not intervening a lot. We're observing and really fine tuning when to go in and when not to go in. But for the most part, the adults are um, hidden. And um, we've learned over the years that if we did that, if we backed up, the kids would actually turn to each other to solve their own problems and come up with their own play ideas. And that's really what we want to see more children doing. So just to give you an example, we might have a puppet show um, of three little pigs and then they'll have the they might have an opportunity to build um, their own three little pigs home so we might have bales of hay out in the woods um, piles of bricks and then um, logs and sticks out there and so we would invite them to have the opportunity to build their own homes after that point Um, but whether they do it or not or if their house looks like what we expect it doesn't really matter it's just really inspiring their play I would say that we're really just, it's like an onion. We're just peeling back the layers one at a time. One of the major things is that they, um, children are, because they're not playing outdoors enough, um, we're really restricting their ability to even move. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing that again with the pandemic, we're seeing um, kids being told, you know, to sit at their desk all day or to be on remote learning. And really when you do that, um, you're not given the opportunity to, to move your body in the ways it was designed to do. And so that, that really impacts everything. Um, one of the major things that happens is if children are constantly in this upright position, 
inside the inner ear is fluid and little hair cells. And we have to move in rapid ways, like spinning in circles, uh, going upside down, moving in ways that make adults gasp, basically, um, in order for those hair cells to move back and forth and stimulate what we call the vestibular sense. And that sense, if it's not um, developed enough, like if, if a child is not moving frequently throughout the day, as you said, um, for hours, um, it can actually weaken just like the muscular sense. If you're not lifting weights a couple times a week, if you're not doing um, cardio exercise a couple days a week, you um, it can weaken. And so what we're seeing is a lot of kids w walking around with an underdeveloped vestibular sense and balance system. And so it can affect knowing where their body is in space. Um, kids are literally falling out of the chairs in school. Um, it affects attention. It actually helps the, the brain to be able to pay attention in school. But if you're not moving enough, that's going to be affected. And it affects regulation. So, well, you know, um, more and more teachers are reporting kids are crying at the drop of hat much more easily frustrated. Their activity level is way up here mm -hmm. um, when they start moving. And so in order for that to come back down again, they have to have plenty of movement opportunities so they can be grounded and calm. So it, it does affect everything. Um, that's just one tiny little percent of what outdoor play works on. There are so many aspects to this book that I was able to, that I am able to apply to my work. I just want to back up and say, I think it's so wild that I'm on a podcast with you because I first, I first heard about you and your book, Balanced and Barefoot and Timbernook, um, when I was listening to a podcast. So it's just wild that, that <laughs> here we are chatting Pulser, about Pulser. it. And, um, you know, I need, I, I bought your book and I read it and I took notes, put sticky notes all over. I took a picture of it, sent it all to my educator friends and, um, you know, it's definitely a must read book for anyone that knows kids. Okay. So enough, I'm plugging the book, There's but I, seriously, yep. <laughs> it is, it's just, it's just everything you really need to know to support children's, um, learning because it's the foundation of, of everything that comes later. And, um, so you had mentioned about the vestibular sense, um, you know, a lot of times educators just think that there's five senses. Um, but we know that there's proprioception um, as a sense too. Um, I don't know if you can just explain a little bit about that too, because yeah. that is important also for children's learning. Please do, because yeah. I was one of these fully adult women who did not know that she had seven senses <laughs> <laughs> before I read this. And I was like, oh, okay. Yes. yes so I need another definition of that for sure. Sure. So the proprioceptive sense is the senses in your joints and in your muscles. And that is, um, it helps you know where your limbs are in relation to each other, but it also helps you to know how much force to use when playing games like tag without hitting too hard or writing with a pencil without breaking the lead over and over, or maybe you're not writing um, hard enough. And the way to work on that is we call it heavy work in the field of occupational therapy, and that's resistance. Um, so, you know, digging in the dirt um, is a way to stimulate the joints and muscles. Climbing trees gives good resistance to the joints and muscles. Um, mowing the lawn when we were growing up for money, you know, that all of that gave you nice resistance to the joints and muscles. And the, the, really the best way to get heavy work, resistive work is through outdoor play. Um, it doesn't necessarily come naturally indoors. You're often more sedentary. There's less space. There's not a lot of heavy things to move around. And it's funny because we've 
come up with all these ways to give heavy blankets and all stuff to calm kids down, but they really need to do active proprioceptive work. They need to do um, chores outside. They, and through play alone, you're going to get um, heavy work, like building a dam, picking up heavy rocks, um, playing on the beach for hours. Um, and so we're starting to see kids that play tag that are hitting too hard. And so now some schools are banning tag, not understanding why is this happening in the first place? Um, and I really believe that we need to remember what's going on in society right now. What's going, you know, often they're on electronics and mm -hmm. pushing buttons is not gonna give you heavy work. So you're just not going to develop the same way. So we have to allow children more outdoor playtime to develop the senses properly. Right. So you write about how we're seeing less and less of this type of play in children's lives. And Rhode Island AUIC also holds um, Rhode Island's QRIS contract. So we're also doing lots of ERS, Environment Rating Scale, observations. And I can tell you, we're definitely seeing that. The importance of outdoor play is always a reminder, especially this concept of like weather permitting and whether or not the whether or not the weather is, is appropriate for outdoor play. So can you explain a little bit of like the trends that you might notice when children don't get these experiences outside? Yeah. So I mentioned some of them, you know, mm -hmm. like, so there's, we're seeing uh, increase in children having trouble with attention, you know, like in the early 30, 40 years ago, in the early 1980s, teachers were reporting that, you know, maybe one or two kids had trouble paying attention back then, but now on a good day, at least eight of those 26 kids are struggling. Um, posture is another thing that's changing. So chiropractors, um, physical therapists are seeing this pre-adolescent posturing. So like there's this yeah. curvature, of the upper body at an earlier age, but that makes sense because if their core strength isn't quite where it should be, um, and they're also lugging around these heavy backpacks, that's an issue. Uh, we have to do backpack awareness days as OTs, but there's uh -huh. a, the other issue is the electronics. So it puts their head in a forward position. And then all the other stuff I already talked about, like falling out of chairs and um, being more and more unsafe on playground equipment. So they're much more you know, a lot of children um, are becoming more clumsy, running into each other. Um, and it's actually the number one thing we have to treat as therapists in a clinic setting is their balance. Teachers that I support, you know, they, they observe children's behavior and, um, you know, I like to call it um, wanted behavior and unwanted behavior instead of good and bad. And so the, there's a lot of the unwanted behavior that they see. And it's as a, it's in a result of children not having the opportunities like the um, heavy work and the lack of balance and the getting out, get, just getting outside with kids can solve so much of that. And there are often excuses about getting outside. And so, um, supporting teachers with all this information and data is really empowering for them um, because it is giving them knowledge that we know that getting outside with kids is important. And one thing I learned from your book is I used to, I used to refer to play as unstructured active play, but you made me think differently about how it's really active play because the children actually are structuring their play. And that's something that really resonated with me because we're, it's, it's almost like giving children the opportunity to, to structure their play and to lead their play and the, the adults providing the opportunity. So 
I don't know if you can talk more about, you know, nature, just getting outside, just being out in nature just naturally provides children with, with everything they need. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something when I was reading your book, I just, I kept saying, yes, right. Oh, that's all you have to do is just get outside with kids and they naturally know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We preschool age children often, you know, don't get enough credit for their, for their like ability to create their own playscapes. Um, and we see it so often that we're, you know, teachers sometimes try to prescribe a certain gameplay and, you know, really, you know, kids can get there themselves. And a lot of times what we see is that kids do get a ton of free play inside. And even when a curriculum may be play-based and it, you know, kind of stays that way for most of the day, what would you say to a teacher that says, you know, I give my kids hours of free play in my classroom. Why should I restructure it to bring that outside instead of what's happening inside? What's the difference basically? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much. Well, <laughs> first of all, um, when you step outdoors, um, we keep going to back to more space, but that is really huge. Um, but there's other things when you step outdoors, um, multiple sense senses are being stimulated. So, mm-hmm. you know, you feel the wind. If you think about being in the room you're in right now and comparing it to being outside, you know, wind is one, um, you'll hear bird sounds, nature sounds, um, temperature changes, the ground's uneven, right? So mm-hmm. you actually have, you're challenging your body more when you move around outside versus inside, you don't really have to think about it, right? So everything's, it's not challenging. And, um, and so much more smells. And mm-hmm. so what happens is when you step outdoors, multiple synapses are firing in your brain, your chances for organization of the brain are going to be higher outside. The other thing that happens is, um, in order for, we call it sensory integration. So again, that organization of the brain, so you can learn, um, happens to best in a calm, but alert state. So if, again, you think of the colors outside, you've got greens, blues, browns. Um, there's a lot of research around those are calming stimuli. We'll paint our preschools those colors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you go for a massage and you hear crashing waves, you hear bird sounds. Um, even the certain smells of trees will reduce the cortisol levels in the brain. So it's very calming, but you're alert outside, right? Cause the ground's uneven. You have to pay attention. You might see an animal run by. So that happens to be ideal for that integration and organization to happen. And then we think about the environments inside where you don't, you don't have that same type of stimuli. And, um, you also, think about, you know, outside where children can actually have plenty of space. They can actually choose who they're going to play with and um, play in smaller groups. Let's say when you go indoors, children are a lot closer to each other, running into each other. Um, You know, the Mm -hmm. cue sticks in the room, it's going to be noisier. So we start to get um, senses that might disorganize or dysregulate the system. Um, Also, um, sometimes it's brightly colored in there. So we might have, you know, Uh, posters that are brightly colored all over the wall. There might be um, some arguing going on. So everything is just, um, it's it's a whole different type of environment. So just that alone, when you step outdoors, it's more conducive to sensory integration. But then you have all the other stuff we we started to talk about. Um, One other example, just to give you a little idea of, of, of how much richer it is once you step outdoors, is um, sensory bins. 
mm-hmm. um, versus maybe let's say playing in giant mud puddles outside, right? So a lot of times we use sensory bins inside and we call it a sensory experience. So let's say we have sand in our sensory bin and it's about this big or a little bit bigger and there's some plastic items in there. So that's a considered a sensory experience. Now you step outdoors and kids are in giant mud puddles. There's multiple children catching frogs. Now, both are a sensory experience. However, if our true objective is to create change in the child, which sensory experience do you think will be more conducive to that? Well, definitely the whole body experience. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and that's where outdoor active play lends itself more um, likely to happen. Absolutely. So, the, and you just, um, I mean, that's one of the number one things is, is a full body immer- immersive experience. Um, and, you know, there's so much more happening out there. So often when I do presentations, I'll have um, those two images up and have people start saying, what's happening in this that you're not going to get indoors? So if you start doing that and you start comparing um, that one activity indoors and then compare it to outdoors, you're going to see that. Um, it's challenging the mind, the body, and the senses in ways you cannot replicate indoors. The same is true with like a, a marble, like a little marble run compared to doing a giant ball run out in the woods with gutters and tubes and the children have to initiate their ideas, like you were saying, using that executive higher level thinking skills. Um, just the fact of initiating a play idea is huge, but executing that, um, being mentally flexible with other people, they're moving their body while they're doing this. Then you have all the nature stuff that we already talked about, wind, um, organization of the senses happening, challenges, um, and then, you know, conflict resolution, you know, conflict's good in play. That's how they learn how to solve their own problems. There's so much, it's very, yeah. it's a very deep topic. <laughs> <laughs> for sure um and not to mention the loose parts that nature provides for yeah. children too just yeah absolutely different, different si- shapes and sizes and textures yep so absolutely. maybe this question might be um for martha as your you know because angela i feel like your program is like really set up to succeed in this area but when we're talking about community-based oh. programs or family child care providers um how would you advise curriculum planning in this area and you know what if if they are transitioning from mostly indoor more structured outdoor play how do you how would you recommend transitioning their planning so definitely bringing nature inside is is one um way that you can entice kids to just like be interested in um once they go outside and um one thing that i often say to teachers is that there's no such thing as bad weather just bad clothing yeah um and um you know we are fortunate to to live in a place with with so many with multiple seasons weather's always changing and that's actually a good thing. We know that's a good thing for kids. I I think the obstacle sometimes is just um, selling this to teachers to get them to go outside with their children, with the children. And that's what I love about the book is that it's, you know, it's research-based and it's empowering, like I said, to teachers to say, this is, this is what I need to do. This is what's best for kids. Mm -hmm. And that should always be our decisions with everything that we make um, about curriculum um, and designing curriculum. It's, it's what is best for kids. I mean, especially because children are, are so 
might be like used to a routine where this really isn't the philosophy. So like, I feel like if you like open the door for them and like, they're like, what am I going to do with this stick? Like, like how do you inspire this in kids that might not be used to it basically? Um, so I think that you don't have to have a lot of space to do this. Um, and you, we do work with schools, um, that have a lot smaller spaces than we do here at the site. Um, so you really, you want to just change your mindset thinking a little bit and think about how can I inspire play outside? Mm -hmm. And so as like you said, a stick might not be enough. It's not, it's too big of a jump for some of these kids. They don't, they don't have a lot of practice with it. And we call it affordances. So um, afford, visual affordances are, you know, you re- recognize that a stick could be um, a wand and mm-hmm. that's one affordance. And then maybe you see someone building with a stick and you realize I have two ideas on how to use a stick. One is to build a fort, one is a wand. And the more practice and exposure you get and watching other children use those materials in different ways, the more creative you're going to get. But sometimes it takes a little bit of inspiration. So if you place certain objects near each other, um, sometimes that's enough to, uh, they call it shared affordances, to go, oh, I might, I might use a stick in um, this uh, um, bucket of mud or something. You know? mm-hmm. So if you play around with placing objects near each other and you look up loose parts, I think that's really huge. Loose parts are materials that can be used for many purposes, like a stick. Um, or a milk crate is like a really popular one. Um, even wooden planks, um, curtains, old curtains, but starting to get materials that will inspire different kinds of play and placing those outside is a very simple step forward to inspiring play. And, and I think also supporting the adult too, to, to try new things and to experiment a little bit with risk risk-taking behavior, getting, going outside is, is um, another opportunity for risk. Um, and just talking about a stick, I know that some adults get nervous about oh, a child. <laughs> about a stick. And so it makes me think that um, our job as, as adults is to help children learn how to hold objects that, that they need to touch. Mm-hmm. and how to do it in a way that is uh, safe and, um, and, and also just um, maybe there is a little bit of risk and it's okay and, and um, building resiliency. I think being outside is a way for children to um, build resiliency. Um, just even just climbing up on a rock or jumping off a rock and being afraid to do it and then the adult just being there to guide them and um, facilitate that opportunity for them to, to think, oh, I'm nervous. I don't know if I should do this. And then they do it and they feel, they feel a sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So just, I mean, that's the thing nature provides. It just provides so much for children's development um, yeah. and adults <laughs> development too. And I think recognizing that it takes time to feel more comfortable with that kind of play. Like you're not probably going to be comfortable for a little bit and just baby steps are okay. Um, Cause it can feel pretty, it's overwhelming to some adults when they first see. Yeah. 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 I like, I love, I love the landing, the landing pad of everything you describe um, that is happening in your program, but I'm thinking a lot about the road and how to get there. And then another part of it that is coming up for me 
I want to acknowledge that not all children have access to natural environments um, in a way that is easily accessible. So what would your recommendations be for, you know, teachers that are operating in programs that are like right in the city and might not have the same access to open natural environments? Yeah. So I think that's when I would look at loose parts again, because you don't, those aren't necessarily natural items, but they do inspire outdoor play. Um, And there's a lot of, there's a, yeah, a lot of great resources out there about it. So. Yeah, I, I I think a lot about um, the 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 access to green space spaces for children, and um, you know I I I don't think it has to be acres and acres of green space. I think that um, if the adult can guide the child to notice things, just walking outside, even in the city, maybe you pass the same tree every day. Mm-hmm. And you notice it, and um, you know you start to to um, talk about what you notice, and the child will join in, and they will actually offer. They probably notice more things than the adult. So I I, I like to think about inspiring adults to um, to try to problem solve the the issue of, of, around access to green mm. space, yeah. um, and like you said, Angela, like loose parts you know collecting things and bringing it in bringing them inside too is is definitely um a a one way to um to to meet their needs yeah definitely you can also meet with landscape designers and i mean you don't you can do it in a budget too Mm -hmm. but there's ways to bring in some natural elements into your outdoor space too that's so cool. So like just climbing up and down. I know some of the natural playgrounds, they'll, they'll um, bring in dirt so that kids can run up and down hills. Um, I, the other day I was out, I was out driving around and I saw um, a grandfather and I'm assuming it was the, the father and a child. The father and the child were rolling down the hill. Oh, and, I love that. They were, they were so joyful. And, and it just made me think just those little things that you can introduce to your child um, and, um, you know, bring in joy and being outside, we know definitely brings, um, it, it does help us all with our emotional state and um, yeah. it can bring yeah. joy. That has been a a pretty regular pandemic practice, like even for me, just like getting out of this house. Like I'm in my house right now, like with my microphone on a Zoom meeting. Like I feel like that, that stretch and that, that trip outside has been like such a lifesaver um, during quarantine. And think about teachers that are inside with their child, with with the children all day long. They will feel better when they go outside too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started talking about our, our current situation, COVID-19. Um, it, it's interesting because COVID might actually be a really good time to start thinking about implementing this philosophy, um, given what we know about the spread of the virus while outdoors. Um, so has your program changed at all, Angela, since the beginning of the pandemic? And how would you advise others to adapt? Yeah, so we um, we did have to modify just the the coming in and the going out mostly yeah. more than anything. We really did not have to modify our program as much as we thought we were going to, and 
um, what we learned is that this is this is really um, it's funny because our saying was that timber nook actually represents like a nook or a cranny, like a hidden place away from the adult world. Mm -hmm. And so with all the fear, all the chaos that's happening, it's, I really see it as a refuge, like a place for kids just to be children. And so we haven't, it depends on where the timber nook is located, obviously, but for the most part, we haven't had to do a lot of, um, a lot of changes to the actual program. It's really because you don't have to sanitize dirt. You don't have to like yeah. sanitize the trees. You don't have to stop them from playing. In fact, what we learned um, during our teamwork conferences, we actually had mental health practitioners come and talk to us about why this is needed more than ever. And it's not the time to stop playing and allowing kids to, because they need to connect and they need to heal. Yeah. And this is a collective um, trauma right now for children. So it's not the time to keep them away from each other mm-hmm. and tell them not to play because that's how they get through these sort of things. And so it's been a huge blessing in disguise and any of our turmeric programs, most of them opened back up pretty quickly, I think by June. So, mm-hmm. you know, we had to shut down just like everyone in March. Um, we're flooded. Um, we've had, we've never been in more of a desperate need than ever. Um, so I think I had a wait list of 40 kids. Wow. Like right away. That's fabulous. So that's, that's yeah. like a positive thing that has come yeah. from this pandemic and just the focus of um, the need for outside time. Like you were saying earlier, children are often um, sitting in front of a screen now um, right. for their yeah. whole day for the remote learning. Um, that's fabulous. That's so great to hear. I feel like it's safer to outside. So I would encourage, um, I would encourage anyone working with children to start bringing it outside because once you go indoors, that's where you're starting to get the plexiglass and having to really distance kids. And, um, it becomes, um, uh, what do you, it just, it starts to impact development in big ways. Mm -hmm. So I think when you step outdoors, those barriers start to break down. And so I really would encourage more people to do that. I think we go to our comfort zone and a lot of teachers are so overwhelmed, but Mm -hmm. again, we step outdoors, you're going to have a sense of, um, all that is good, you know, out there. So, yeah. And And on top of all those benefits, you can add to the pro column, not sanitizing dirt because (laughs) I feel like, I feel like the increased like sanitizing that's going on, like like that pro go outside. You don't have to Purell the dirt. It's going to be fine. And it's against all the research and science we've done. It really is against a lot of the work that I've done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And in your book, you, you, you reference, um, three hours of active play, preferably for outdoors. I, I, I don't know if you can elaborate more on that. I know a lot of people just, I mean, are, will be stunned to hear that um, mm. because what we're, what educators are always struggling with is just trying to find the time to go outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Allison, early childhood educators should be outside for about an hour, at least a day. Yeah. Um, so can you just talk a little bit more about that three hours and yeah. educate yeah. everyone that's listening? The, right. The importance. Um, there's, yeah, there's two kind of different reasons why, um, if you, whenever, um, so when I used to travel, <laughs> I used to ask my audience, you know, how many hours they played growing up. And I kept hearing over and over the adults say between four and six. 
you know, so like, you know, hours digging in the dirt, going upside down, developing the, the muscles and the senses like, like, um, like we should. And over the years at past 34 years, that's decreased to, um, I think the research is like 48 minutes, but I really don't think it, that it's even that anymore. Um, and so when you change environment that drastically, that's when you're affecting development. So we need to move more than we think. We weren't really designed to learn in a seat. So I think getting out of that mindset of like, we always have to be sitting down and controlling the child <laughs> to learn. I think early childhood, especially they learn best through play. So why can't the whole day be played? play. Um, but you know, you have different things happening and facilitating learning through it. Yes. But, you know, maybe changing the mindset, like this is learning, this is not. Mm -hmm. And also like, I try to not just like, I don't use the word unstructured play. I've learned in recent years, cause I'm constantly learning is, you know, someone had told me there's no such thing as free play. It's just play or stop play. You're either playing or you're not playing. So that way it, um, cause it's almost like it gives it less value when we say free play, it's either play or work. So, but I do believe that the occupation of children is play and they learn best through play. Why can't we, we, we kind of switch things on its head and, and um, teach them through play versus through work. Co correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a quote here that I'm thinking it came from the book that says outdoor active play is academic. Yeah. But, yeah, so yeah. That's, um, we need to, continue to educate adults that mm -hmm. children are learning during play. Oh yeah. Um, and, and it is academic. And our curriculum. So again, we're working with schools to certify them to do Timbernook. Um, when they're early childhood, we, we match them to NACI standards and they naturally already meet most of them. Like they're already meeting the standards because it's through, because the NACI standards are appropriate, age appropriate. Yeah. Um, when they get older, we've had to, um, they still have their Timbernook experience. So all the way through middle school and, but we then they go back in the classroom and we have um, extension activities that will help them meet Common Core and next generation science standards through Timbernook curriculum. But it's all, it's all meaningful play and it becomes more meaningful when they do, let's say the giant ball run, they learn physics mm -hmm. through play and then they um, bring that extension back into the classroom after. This is so cool. <laughs> this is so interesting. Um, we have covered so much and I, I feel like philosophically, we're probably going to hear some buy-in. Uh, so far, we've been talking for like, I don't even know, like 40 minutes. Um, I think that what, and this is my last question, but we can, we can keep talking forever. <laughs> but I think that what I want to know for teachers, um, because, you know, I've, I've actually, I've experienced this before where like, you know, through different resources, a teacher might fully buy into something that we think is developmentally appropriate, but they're up against parents or program administrators or district level policies um, that really prohibit them from making these types of changes. So what would be like your two to three sentence elevator pitch for a teacher that wants to adopt this um, at their program, but is up against some pushback? Yeah, I think looking at the science behind why, mm -hmm. um, I know Martha has been mentioned this a couple of times, but it's true. If you can open the eyes of the people and understand the why, that's critical. Um, it's very hard to go back doing the same old, same old once your eyes are opened and you realize you're actually mm -hmm. causing harm 
to children. Um, as a healthcare professional, we're at the point where we're, we're harming kids by continuing these practices that are not ideal. I also think it's, um, I think that re rethinking how we do things is really important on what's most effective. Uh, what are we, what are our objectives? So re-looking at what, <laughs> If our objectives are to change the senses, if our objectives are to teach them something new, the most effective way is through a meaningful experience versus um, a rote memory type learning adult directed activity. So I think just rethinking and going back to what are our objectives and why. That's awesome. Martha, do you have anything else? Well, like you said, I could, I could talk about this for a lot longer, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I just I appreciate your your time, Angela, with us, and just your knowledge and sharing sharing um, your expertise with with us and many who will be listening to this podcast. And um, thank you for your work. And this book is definitely a must read for anyone that is comes in contact with kids. You don't yeah. have to be an educator or a parent. Is anyone that is with with children? Where can, let's do, let's do our little um, plug in closing, Angela, where can people buy your book? Uh, so you can find it just about anywhere, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I ask that all the time, but I, I'm noticing that that's the answer. I'll, like, I feel like, like books are so accessible now. This is so fun. Like usually it's going to like, I didn't know if like, sometimes it's like one of those like specifically teacher publications, but yeah, man, everything's on Amazon. <laughs> That's fine. It's true. Yeah. So thanks so much for your time today. I'm glad we could um, schedule this. Last time we meant to talk, it was in the middle of a pretty big snowstorm, but we had a really cool email exchange about how great of an opportunity it was to go outside. Um, so yeah, thanks again for being here. And thanks to Martha for, first of all, being a very early adopter of this idea. <laughs> which I really appreciate, but yeah, more from me and you in the future, huh? Yes. Sounds great. Cool. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Huge shout out to Angela and Martha for helping me out in creating such an awesome episode. I'm so excited to record again soon. Um, until then, enjoy the upcoming spring weather, get some sunshine, get outside. Bye.